0: Thank you, Pastor Jono. And uh, in some respects, Jono's stolen my thunder because this week is the greatest week in history. This is the week where history itself has been shaken upside down, where everything has been torn to the point where the King of Kings is now proclaimed. This is the, the great week in history. And so it's my great pleasure to preach to you this morning or this evening. Ah, oh, I hate it when I say that. I've only been going five weeks, and I've said it twice already. It's my great pleasure for two reasons. One is that um, this is like my favorite thing in the entire world to do, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to talk about how good he is so that you can taste and see for yourself. The second reason I'm really excited is that my mum and dad are here, which means that someone's going to laugh at my jokes. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And um, we're going to be looking at Mark 11 today, and... There's, this, there's one question that we're going to come back to time and time again that I think Mark 11 really brings out, draws out. And it's this question, who do you worship? It's a question that every single person is going to have to reconcile with. It's not every person is going to have to answer. And it's not necessarily something that Christians have come up with. This is something that regardless of your religious orientation that people are grappling with. Check out this quote from an atheist. His name is David Foster Wallace. He was a professor, writer, and he gave this quote at the 2005 Kenyan commencement speech. He said, here's something that's weird, but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. We added a bit from this morning. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough and never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual lure and you will feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. That's a quote. That's an atheist standing up, just saying some stuff that he sees. Everybody Worships and the reason that Jono stands up here every single week and talks about Jesus, and the reason that I stand up here every week and talk about Jesus is the reality that you will worship something and it won't always be Jesus. I could say the question, What do you worship? and we could sing song back Jesus like we're in Sunday school. Right? Because I'm out at Sunday school. I'm out at Arrow Kids in the morning, and the answer to every question usually is Jesus, right? Unless it's a trick question, in which case I feel like I've just played myself, right? But the reality is that when we go out in the day to day life, we can say Jesus with our lips, but our actions say something very different. Okay? And here's the thing. If we say we worship Jesus with our lips and we don't with our actions, not only are we robbing God of the glory that he deserves in that moment, which he will get in the end, we are robbing ourselves of comfort, of assurance, of joy in him. Every moment we worship something else. And the thing that David Foster Wallace, he he gets... Is that whatever you worship, if it's not Jesus, it will consume you. It will spit you out and you will die a million deaths before death takes its final blow. Okay, so let's, let's get into Mark 11. I think God's going to say some big stuff to us. I know we're all feeling a little bit cold. I got told that it was basically cyclone weather, which um, I didn't think Melbourne had. Um, so maybe I can light a fire underneath us today. Let's start at Mark 11. You can follow along on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, the one that's next to you is now yours. You're welcome. This is Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. So this is a strange story. It seems like Jesus has sent his disciples to steal a donkey from someone and given them the magic words to make sure they don't get caught. But this is actually a major departure from Jesus' identity. See, previously in the book of Mark and throughout the Gospels, he's been centering in the north of Israel. He's been healing, he's been preaching, he's been teaching. And what we see now is that Jesus is making his way down south to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to his death. In the previous story, he's been at Jericho, and he makes this journey down to the Mount of Olives, which is a massive mountain overseeing Jerusalem. It's about 2,600 feet high, 800 meters. Right, it's a big mountain. And not only is Jesus making a geographical pilgrimage, but right, serious things are changing about his mission and about his methods. Jesus has been healing people and he's been teaching and he's been proclaiming himself in power and doing miracles. But when people have started to discover who he is, that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah, that he is the king, he tells them to shut it down. He's been super chill about his identity. He's been like Superman, making sure that no one ever sees the logo. And as he makes his way to Jerusalem, what we see is Superman has taken off his clothes And he is about to be proclaimed and crowned. And the interesting thing about Mark 11 is that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. It's Jesus who sets the beat to march to Jerusalem. It's Jesus who sets the disciples out. It's Jesus who tells them what to say. This is a central story throughout all the Gospels. Every single one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Put this at the center of something big that's about to happen for each and every one of them. It's a big thing. And here's the, here's the strange thing, right? Jesus entering Jerusalem is on, a, on a donkey is about as common as me entering Caroline Springs on a donkey, right? It doesn't happen. If you're a pilgrim, you walk to Jerusalem, you don't find a donkey on your last legs and walk in. And if you're a king, you don't find a donkey and walk in. Right? You find a chariot or some. you have your slaves carry you. Right? You have flags and banners and trumpets. This is weird. It's a strange story. And there's so many things that we miss because we're not Jews. Right? There's messianic overtones. The fact that Jesus is Messiah, the coming king. There's prophecies that are being fulfilled that we don't get on just a regular reading. Here's, here's some stuff to be aware of. So in Zechariah 9, second last book of the Old Testament, there's this prophecy about the coming king. And this is what Zechariah the prophet says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the king is going to come on a donkey. And this is played out even more in Matt chapter 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's a couple of things that are going on. Why is Jesus entering Jerusalem on a young donkey? Why is he entering in this way? Why is he chosen to come in this method in this manner here's two things that we need to be aware of one is that jesus is doing all these things to show that he is the king and he's about to lay down his kingdom and the second thing is that his kingdom is not like anything this world has ever seen before he is the king of kings but it's not what's going to be expected it's not what people thought was going to happen See, Jesus comes to Jerusalem just before Passover, and Passover was when Israel celebrated the liberation from Egypt, the slavery, the fact that God had set the slaves free. And so there was an anticipation that the Messiah was coming to set the captives free, but they thought it was going to be a political liberation. That Rome, which ruled over much of the Middle East then, was going to be done away with. They were going to be dealt with. They were going to be cast aside. And Israel was going to be laid up. And Jesus was going to be this great ruler. The Messiah was going to come with a sword and slay Rome and set everyone free. And the incredible thing is that it's all true, but not what they expected. Jesus did not dispel Rome, but he did come with a sword. He just defeated Satan. Not Rome. He came to defeat sin, not political enemies. It wasn't what they expected. I love what Jesus says to his disciples when he sends them out. There's lots of conjecture here that maybe Jesus had already prearranged a donkey with someone because otherwise it's a little bit of a strange story, something that I want to incorporate in my day-to-day life. I just went down the street before and brought some um, food. And I'd really love to just take it and then say, when someone says, why are you doing that? The Lord needs it and we'll send it back here later. Um, But I don't think uh, donkeys and hubba-bubba are comparable here. So what's going on here, right? Maybe Jesus had made an arrangement, but he shows foresight, showing us again that he's a king, that he has divine powers, divine authority. It's not what everyone expected. It's not what people thought. The kingdom that he's about to lay down isn't what they expected. We read on in verse 7. And when they had brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks.